This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week for those that are with us in verse 22. Last week when I asked the question, how are we as the people of God, as the church, going to meet all the physical and spiritual needs of all the people that live in this valley? I, I asked that question and we looked at Jesus and his desire to challenge our perception of who we think he is or has been. And he wants to challenge our perception of who we think God the Father is and what he can do in and through our lives, through what I was calling happy meal faith, through simple faith and obedience and, and willingness to go all in for his cause. And we talked about how what is given in faith is always blessed and multiplied. And then it's blessed and multiplied by God so that it can be shared with others. See, the goal of God blessing you is not just so that you can be blessed. The goal of God blessing you is so that you can be a blessing so that what's in your life can transfer out to others, so that what's in your life can be a blessing to others. That's God's heartbeat for us and how I believe that we are gonna see this valley turned upside down for the glory of God. So today we're picking up right where we left off. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. The Bible records 5,000 men in attendance. We know that they wouldn't have counted all the children and the women. So more like 10,000 were fed by a boy's simple happy meal, two fishes and five loaves. And then Jesus goes and sends his disciples across the sea, across the lake there, and ends up walking on the water. And he meets them out in the middle of the lake and is like, don't be afraid, guys, it's me. And he gets in the boat with them and he goes to the other side. And here's where we're picking up tonight, verse 22. It says this, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So they pick up on the fact that Jesus didn't go with them in the boat. Verse 23, and other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. If you guys remember, Jesus lifts up the barley loaves that were given to him by the little boy in his act of faith, and he breaks them and he gives thanks. He performs this beautiful Eucharistic blessing over the bread, and then he multiplies it miraculously. It's an amazing sign. It's one of the signs recorded, one of the seven signs recorded by John in this gospel. So then verse 24, when the crowd saw that Jesus was no longer there, no longer at the mountain where he did this miracle, nor were his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went after him. They went to Capernaum. That's where Jesus and his disciples went to. And the, and the text records here that they were seeking after Jesus, that there was something more that they wanted from Jesus besides just his miracles. Perhaps. <laughs> so right, right away we noticed that the crowds, after eating their Thanksgiving meal, uh, that was so graciously provided by Jesus the Messiah, have come back to him looking for him. They're after him. Now, it could be that they wanted something more from Jesus, or it could be that they just were hungry <laughs> again. Because how many of you guys know you're going to eat one day and then you're going to be hungry the next, right? 
Can I say this about physical needs and hunger? There's always going to be more needs for us to meet. There's always going to be hungrier stomachs for us to feed. That's never going to stop. In fact, Jesus would even go on to remark that the poor you'll always have with you, that the hungry and the needy you'll always have with you. But regardless of what is done today, we're going to encounter this need or this desire for more tomorrow, which is why I believe as a church, we need to be, hear me on this, we need to be obedient to what Jesus says to do and when. So I want to say this right at the outset tonight. Next slide. We are not merely motivated by meeting needs. We are motivated by being on mission with Jesus. Can I say it again? We're not merely, solely, simply, only motivated by just trying to solve the world's hunger problem. There are a lot of great people right now trying to solve the world's hunger problem, and I applaud them. I do. Some of them for noble causes and reasons, and others for less than so. But how many of you guys know that we're never going to solve that problem? Because you get up the next day, and guess what? You're hungry again. We could give out all of the food to, to feed all of the people, and how many of you guys know a couple days later they're going to be like, what now? <laughs> What's next? What's on the menu next, Pastor Jason? It's interesting to me that when the enemy, Satan, the accuser, shows up in the New Testament to test and to tempt Jesus out in the wilderness while Jesus is fasting, we often think that the temptation was for Jesus to turn stones to bread so that he could feed himself. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, seeing the needs of all the people, looking out over the land, could probably have taken all those stones and turned them to bread and not just fed himself, but fed all of Israel and met every need of every person, which tells me that the temptation to be driven by needs is, is rampant. The temptation to be driven by what we think we're going to do when we solve someone's hunger problem is rampant. And yet Jesus had a very specific response to the devil, didn't he? He said, devil, it's, it's written that man shall not live by what? Bread alone. alone. He quotes from Deuteronomy to the devil and he points out the fact that there's something more to life than just filling our stomachs with bread, with food, with meeting the physical need. And this is why as a church, I want to press us to be people that, yes, do what we can to feed people and meet physical needs and, and do so in faith and with generosity and joy. But at the end of the day, it's not enough if that's all we're signing up for. Because Jesus knows that there's a spiritual need, a spiritual hunger in each and every one of us that can only be met by him, that can only be met by the word of God. Jesus knows there will always be more physical needs, which is why he moves on from the situation pretty quickly. He could have hung out there. People come the next day. They're like, all right, we're ready for more. <laughs> What's Jesus going to do today? And he's already on the other side of the sea. Why? Because Jesus had a mission. Jesus was driven by the mission that he had received from his father in heaven. Jesus knows that his mission is to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Remember what he tells 
his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. Verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought Jesus something to eat and didn't tell us? And Jesus said to them, my food, my meal is to do the will of him, meaning his father, who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was on mission with the father and he was nourished by his mission that he received from the father. He was nourished by his purpose for coming. Jesus's mission was to do God's will and to finish it, to accomplish the work. And just like Jesus, I want to say to us tonight, we too have received a mission. We too have received a mission from the Father. And here's what it is. It's to go and it's to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. It's to make disciples of all peoples and all nations. It's to, and here's our mission, to equip and empower people to become courageous followers of Jesus. That's essentially our way of saying we want to make disciples. We want to disciple people in the way and the truth in the life of who Jesus is. And can I say this? There is a great temptation for us to only look at our needs and go, that's what we're going to focus on. When in reality, God is calling us to a higher place and to a higher purpose He's given us a mission to make disciples of all nations, to go and to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came, and that's what we want to do. We want to be on mission with him and his desire to do that. We see it in what Jesus says next, verse 25. And when the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because, of, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Okay, so Jesus makes it real clear here why the crowd has come after him. We weren't sure at first, but now we know for sure. Jesus says, because I did this awesome miracle and I fed your bellies and you went to, to sleep that night with a full tummy, that's why you've gotten in the boat and come after me. Isn't that interesting? Some people want Jesus for his stuff. Some people want Jesus for the stuff that he can give them. And we treat God like a Pez dispenser in the sky. Hey God, uh, would you throw, would you chuck some blessings my way? <laughs> hey God, would you bless me so that I can eat again, so that I can do what I want again? And Jesus calls this out. He goes, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, this is the only reason why you're coming. And so he recognizes the crowds have come because of his ability to meet their physical need. But Jesus, being a good Messiah and a good rabbi and a good teacher, wants to elevate their perception of who he is. And he wants to help them and us look beyond our earthly need, beyond just the physical you see, this week is Thanksgiving, which means that many of us are going to, we're going to spend a lot of time in the kitchen making food, uh, for those of you that do make food. And we are going to eat until we're silly. We're going to fill our bellies with, with good meats and treats and delectable sweets. It's going to be amazing, right? And we love this. But can I tell you something? The food that we eat this week is not going to lead us to anything everlasting or eternal. It's not going to lead us to anything 
lasting or eternal because it's perishable. It's going to lead us to the bathroom. (laughs) And hopefully, that's all it's going to lead us to do. (laughs) And Jesus kind of cues in on this in verse 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You see, he's trying to direct our attention to food that is beyond us, food that leads to something eternal, something everlasting, something that's not going to perish, something that's not going to pass away. So Jesus wants to elevate our understanding of who he is and by the nature of the kind of food he wants to give us, the kind that leads us somewhere to eternal life, the text says. And then we see the crowd's response in the very next verse, verse 28. And then they said to him, what must we do, Jesus, to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you, here it is, believe in him whom he has sent, whom the father has sent. The crowds are like, what can we do to get this eternal life, Jesus? Like, what what do we have to do? How many of you guys know you can't buy eternal life? You can't merit eternal life. You can't do enough good works to earn eternal life. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a gift, but it comes by way of your belief. Theologians would say it's appropriated through faith. We are saved by grace through faith is what Ephesians tells us by way of belief. And so I want to say this tonight, never underestimate the power of belief. Never underestimate the power of faith. Just as we saw last week, all things are possible for those who what? Who believe who enlarge their capacity for belief, who enlarge their hearts to believe God for impossible things, which means that God's calling us as a people and as a church right now in the midst of fear and uncertainty about the future and whether gas prices are going to hit four or five or six dollars in the days ahead. Woo, let's hope it doesn't go to six dollars a gallon, right? (laughs) He's calling us to be people of faith, to believe, not just to see limitation, not just to focus on lack, not just to focus on what's left in our bank account after we pay all the bills and pay our rent or mortgage. Bless God. And this means that as a church, we're called to something more. We're called to elevate our sight and our understanding and our expectation and dare I say our faith to believe him for so much more. To believe him for the impossible. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to, church. He's inviting us to join him on mission to do impossible things. How many of you guys know that we're going to face some challenges in the days ahead? If you don't, you will soon. Follow Jesus long enough and you'll figure it out that you're going to face some impossible situations. But come on, God is not calling us to be a people that shrink back, but to press forward in Faith, the book of Hebrews tells us, to believe God for impossible things. Some of you who are new to Utah, stay here long enough and you'll see that it's challenging here. It's difficult here, but guess what? It's not impossible. It's not impossible to believe God for that dream that he's put in your heart. It's not impossible. And that's what I want to encourage us in tonight, that, that God is the God who does the impossible which means that you and I are called to believe like it. We're called to step into that. 
And that's my challenge for us tonight, to be people of faith, to be people of audacious faith who are willing to, to believe and to pray for crazy things. I wonder what you're believing God for that seems outlandish or crazy. I think that a lot of times we step back from that ledge or edge because it's uncomfortable. Like if I pray and I get my hopes up and it doesn't happen, then what? Right? So many of us pray things like, well, God, if, it's, if it be your will, <laughs> we chuck that on there just to give ourselves a little escape hatch. Well, God, if, in case it doesn't happen, well, at least we know that it was ultimately not your will. That's what we do sometimes when we pray. And I don't believe that the heart of God is moved by those kinds of prayers. I believe God is moved by a heart that says, like the three men who said they wouldn't bow, even if you don't show up in the fire, we're not going to stop. We're not going to relent. We're not going to bow down. We're going to believe anyways. That's audacious faith. To say, regardless of the outcome, we're going to believe. Now, I don't know what you guys are believing God for. Hopefully, it's not just a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox. My kids might be believing for that, and I'm sorry to disappoint them. It's not going to happen. Sorry, Liam. No PS5 this year for Christmas. <laughs> Maybe it's not an Xbox or PS5. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a spouse or a wife or a girlfriend. Or a boy. I don't know what it is that you're believing God for. But can I encourage you to dream a little bigger? <laughs> to set your sights a little higher and a little further to press yourself to believe God and trust God for audacious things. That's what he's calling us to, to be people who believe. Verse 30, so they said to him, the crowd said to Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Because our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you that bread, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So the people referenced the Exodus and the miracles that God did for them while they were in the wilderness. And Jesus picking up on their slight challenge and knowing their commitment to Moses and their lack of understanding of who is actually standing right in front of them makes this amazing statement in verse 32. He says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, referring to himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is trying to spell it out for them, isn't he? He goes, you guys want the real bread? You guys want that real scratch, that real dough? the kind that's not going to perish or fall apart. You want something everlasting and eternal and something you could build your life on, something that's life-giving? Is that what you want? Well, I'm here to tell you, I am that bread. I am that bread. Verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's he doing? He's elevating their faith. He's elevating their perception of who he is. He's trying to get their eyes off their stomachs and get their eyes back on Father God. He says, are any of you hungry? Come to me. 
and I'll feed you. Are any of you thirsty? Come to me and I'll give you something to drink. Are any of you in need? Then come to me because I am actually, I am the one that you need. It's me. It's a person, friends. And for any of you watching online today, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the only one that can ever satisfy that longing in our soul. He's the only one that can do it because only Jesus gives life to the world. Only Jesus is the bread of life. The food that you and I are going to make this week, as great as it is, it's not going to last. Some of you may even put it in your refrigerators hoping that it'll last, but it's not going to last. But a relationship with Jesus is meant to last forever and ever and ever. Have you guys ever stopped and just tried to fathom eternity? Doesn't it kind of like blow your mind when you start thinking about forever? Like the fact that it's going to go on and on and on and on. Like forever. My kids told me the other day, they're like, Dad, forever is a long time. It is, isn't it? But have you ever just stopped and just contemplated the idea that our relationship with God and even each other is meant to last forever? I think if we lived with that kind of faith and that kind of awareness, I think all the temporal things that we wrestle with and struggle with probably wouldn't be as much of a big deal. Like as difficult as your worst day is, it's not your last day. Because you were meant and created to live with God forever. So no matter how hard tomorrow might be, no matter what direction our nation takes, no matter what happens within the state of Utah or within the state of your own soul, you and I were created for an eternal relationship with the bread of life. With the one who is who we need. I just think that's amazing. It helps make our problems real small, doesn't it? Some of, some of us need to get a bigger God because right now we have a bigger problem and we have a small God. We're like, Jesus, I check you a prayer on Sunday. I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. My problems seem really big. It's because your God is too small. And Jesus would say to you and to me, it's time to enlarge your capacity to believe God. It's time to, to understand who he really is and wants to be in your life. He goes on to say this to them in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe, right? Small God, big problem. I said to you that, that you've seen me and, and yet you still don't believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, there it is again, but to do the will of him who sent me. And here it is. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the very last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus uses the word everyone here. He doesn't just say some who believe in me or a few who believe in me, but everyone who looks upon me, who believes in me, will have eternal life. And friends, that's what Jesus wants for all of us. 
to experience eternal life. And eternal life is not just about what comes after death. Eternal life is what happens here and now, the moment you put your faith in Christ, the moment you, the moment you say yes to Jesus, eternal life begins for you. That's why Jesus would say in John 3 that unless you're born again, you can't see or experience the kingdom life here and now. Can't do it. Unless you're born from above, born of the spirit, born from putting your faith, hope, and trust in who Jesus is and receiving that gift of life and rebirth spiritually. You can't experience all that he has for you now that's intended to stretch out for eternity to come, which means it goes on and on and on and on. And that starts the minute you and I begin to make a decision that today, we're not living for him tomorrow. We're living for him today. We're saying yes to Jesus today. And I love the promise that comes with that. He says that he's going to raise us up with him on the last day. You and I are going to live again, like bodily. Do you guys know that? We're not just going to float around like ethereal angels on a cloud playing harps with halos. You're going to live a bodily, spiritually resurrected, but glorified and transformed life with Christ on the last day when Jesus returns. That's the promise. That's what we believe. That's what all Orthodox Christians have believed for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that we're going to experience him again in a bodily way. Paul says we're going to put on that which isn't perishing, but it's still going to be bodily. When Jesus was raised to life, he still had a body. He's like, here, put your hand here, touch it. Thomas, put your fingers here, put it in my side. Like there was still something physical and material. And what I love about that is it tells us that Jesus loves our bodies. <laughs> he loves your body. It makes sense. He created it. Do we believe that tonight? But what I also like and appreciate about this, this promise that we're going to have eternal life and live with him again and be raised up again with him on the last day. And I don't know how that's going to happen if you get cremated. Are you just going to molecularly come back together and phase together like photons and neutrons and quarks and atoms? And I mean, I don't know, right? That'll be fun to watch. But that's the promise. And you know what this does, guys? This frames our perception and understanding of what's important in light of eternity, not in light of mon Monday or Tuesday morning. And you know what it does? It flies in the face of this kind of YOLO attitude that our culture has right now. Dude, YOLO, you only live once. Better jump out of that plane now because you only live once, not according to Jesus. You live forever. You live forever. I love that. It just flies in the face of everything that our culture wants us to do. Forget eternity, live for the moment. Forget what's going to happen tomorrow. Just, just make today your best day ever. And Jesus goes, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. And all who look to me and believe are going to have eternal life that never ceases. Goes on and on and on. That's the hope that we have. That's what we used to call our blessed assurance. That we're going to live with Jesus forever. But apparently not everybody's happy about that. And we see that with the crowd's response in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him. They grumbled. Who's this guy think he is? Stupid. And they grumbled because he said, here it is, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't like Jesus saying that. We're going to see why here in a moment. 
And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I have come down from heaven? You know what this tells me, church? This tells me that not everyone's going to be excited or even be able to receive or understand your faith or your testimony or good news about who Jesus is. And that's okay. Because we see here in Capernaum that the Jews grumbled about who Jesus was and this was a stumbling block to them. They couldn't get over this fact that he was like, I've come down from heaven. He makes all these outrageous claims, you guys. But I want you to understand this. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he healed the sick or raised the dead or fed the hungry. He suffered and died and was persecuted and murdered on that cross because of claims like this. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. It's these claims that he makes in being equal with God the Father and coming from God the Father that get him killed. And so they're grumbling about it. They're writing Jesus off because of his family. Isn't this the carpenter's son? I think it's in Luke or maybe it's Mark where it says that Jesus could do no major miracles in his own hometown because they were caught up on his family. Familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? They're like, we know this guy. Isn't this carpenter's son? Isn't Mary and Joseph his parents? How is he able to make these outrageous claims? They're writing Jesus off. Verse 43. And so Jesus answers them, do not grumble among yourselves because no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45. And it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's talking about himself and this is just making them more and more angry. And then he raises the stakes. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. They're gone but this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not die. So, or excuse me, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am that living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and ever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus tells them again, I'm the living bread, guys. I'm from heaven. I'm the one that comes down. I'm the only thing that's going to satisfy, the only thing that's going to fill, the only thing that's going to give you life. But there's still Missing the point. The next verse, 52, tells us that they actually get into a pretty big argument and start fighting over it. Verse 52, then the Jews began to dispute and argue among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How are they thinking about Jesus' words here? They're thinking about them too literally, too earthly, too naturally, and they're missing what those words are meant to illustrate and point them to. And in doing so, they're missing this great invitation from Jesus, aren't they? But don't we do the same sometimes? Don't we miss what Jesus is trying to do in our life when he tries to elevate our understanding of who he is and get our perceptions off the natural and earthly limitations that we face? He says, come to me and I'll fill you. Come to me and I'll, I'll give you water so you won't ever thirst again. Come and I'll give you rest even. 
But sometimes we miss this invitation. We miss the invitation to come and to eat and to drink. This is the language that Jesus uses here. And it's strong language. And it, again, it carries echoes of what we're going to see later in the Lord's Supper when they're all together up in that, that room together. And it's what we see when we come together and take communion. This is what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to take communion together as a church. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true, f- true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now, when we read that, we're like, Jesus, this is crazy. Eat my flesh, drink my blood? What is this? Twilight novel? But remember, guys, the context. Context is key. Who are the people that Jesus is talking to here? The people that just the previous day had received the two fishes and the loaves. And they're like, oh, this is who Messiah is going to be. He's going to be the one that comes down and feeds all of the hungry And this is what we get to look forward to. Food for days. And so they've put Jesus into a box. And all they're focused on is meeting their physical need. Their food and their drink. And Jesus is going, listen guys. Unless you eat my flesh. Unless you consume me as your living bread. And drink my blood. You're going to get hungry again. You're going to get thirsty again. But whoever whoever, whoever feeds on me, whoever comes to me and whoever drinks my blood and will abide in me and and I in him, there's this promise of, of who Jesus wants to be in our life. He's trying to point them to a bigger and a deeper reality. So he's using metaphorical language. Metaphorical language. Does Jesus actually want them to? Hopefully not. This ain't the walking dead. He's not trying to get them to feed on him like zombies. He's trying to disrupt their understanding of who their Messiah is. Ultimately, Jesus uses really strong, jarring language here. Feed on my flesh and drink my blood because he's trying to point them toward the cross where Jesus' body will be broken and torn for you. And for me, and where his blood will be spilled out for you and for me so that all who come to him will not be cast out or rejected or ashamed, but so that all who come to him will find eternal, everlasting life. This is why millions upon millions of Christians gather every week to rejoice They do so to experience common union with Christ and with his body, with his church. And that's what we are. The word common union means, or I should say this, the word communion is entering into common union with Christ and each other by way of the cross, by way of what he's ultimately going to do when his body is broken and his blood is spilled out for us. 
And this is what we're doing when we're gathering in his name. We're remembering. We're coming together as the body of Christ. We're remembering being fit together as his body. And we're drinking of his life together. We're celebrating. And it's mysterious and it's awesome and it's wonderful. And woe to any of us that try to package it and market it and slap a sticker on it or reduce it down to its, the sum of its, its parts because it's so much bigger than anything that we could ever think or even imagine. When we come together, we're entering into common union with Christ and each other. There's this invitation that Jesus extends to us by way of his own body and by way of his blood for you and I to experience the bread of life, the one who gives us life eternal, life that starts today and stretches out for eternities to come. That should be good news. I hope it's good news to you today. Finally, we're reminded that Jesus is saying all of this in the synagogue. Where is he? He's teaching in the place where people need to be taught the most. Verse 58 and 59. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. You see, Jesus went to where the people needed to be taught the most. He was committed to going into difficult and hard places. At the same time, it doesn't mean that everybody received him there. Can I encourage us today? Someone might say no to you today and say yes to Jesus tomorrow. God may, people may not receive your faith and testimony and good news right away, but don't stop. Don't stop sowing the seed. The Bible says that the sower sows the seed. He sows the word. He keeps speaking it. He keeps sharing good news. He keeps going out. He keeps teaching the world these things about who Messiah is. And he's trusting, and she's trusting God to work even when they're not. And this is where I want us to, to land the plane tonight. God wants you to trust him in your sharing of good news. You might have a neighbor or a friend or a coworker this week that you've been working on for days or weeks or months or maybe even years. God help us. Some of you might have your family over this week for Thanksgiving. You know, that aunt or uncle or mother-in-law or father-in-law that kind of make you upset because they get too political around the table or whatever it is. Don't stop sharing good news. Don't stop speaking the word. Don't stop sowing the seed because it's God who will bring forth the increase. It's God who brings forth the harvest. Why? Because he's the Lord of the harvest. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 reminds us that some sow, some water, but it's the Lord who brings forth the increase. You know what our job is, church? Our job is to share good news. It's to share the gospel with people. It's to tell people about the bread of life. As one person said, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Not the bread that's gonna waste, not the Pillsbury kind, no. The bread of life. Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. That's who he is. So let's receive him today together. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.